Hey, welcome. Before we kick off this episode, I just want to say my dog was home, so you're going to hear his chain jingling and him throwing his bone. My apologies. Today's episode is with guitarist Anthony Rizzo. He's played in many bands, such as Garden Variety. He's written the music to plays, and he's done the soundtrack and background score to TV shows and documentaries. The latest documentary he has worked on is a film by Chris Cassidy called Dennis and Lois. We sit down and talk about religion and our children. There was a lot to squeeze in, so here we go. Anthony Rizzo. Anarchy to diapers, bitches! somewhat of a little melting pot you know there's uh, Arab family across the street also um, so I mean foreign people weren't that foreign to me you know were never foreign to me but all, you know all my relatives are foreigners to you know to yeah. extent because they you know they all their their uh, their main language their primary language was, is Italian yeah you know so uh that's what I learned to speak before I started speaking. Um, so, like, there was no culture shock for me ever. Um, so that you know, I guess that that's a good way to to experience um, you know the world you know in a in a uh, in a little capsule you know um, capsule being my block. Yeah. You know, with that said, you know, I, I learned a lot. You know, I, you know, when you're when you're white and you live on Long Island, um, you know, you get, you know, you learn that kind of behavior. You learn that kind of behavior. No one's born a racist. It's it's learned. Absolutely. And um, you can learn it from your your parents. You can you know learn it from your friends. You can learn it from your parents' friends who handed it down to their, to your friend. You know, it's a cycle. And, yeah. um, but I, I never felt, I, I never really subscribed to it. I was always a sympathetic kid, you know. Um, and then when I started playing music, um, that's when the world changed for me. You know, I, I was 15, I finally picked up the guitar in earnest because I had picked it up a couple times before that. And it, it clicked, and then a, a lot of other things clicked. You know, I, I discovered my identity, and you know, it didn't feel uh, 
like so much of an outcast anymore um, because I I was confident with who I was becoming, you know, and you know I felt like I had something that nobody else had, and I you know I knew a secret that no one else knew, you know, and that is this you know developing a relationship with an instrument, you know, a musical instrument, and um, so it it kind of like you know catapulted me into the next stage of my life, you know, and um, and I just learned to see things in a in a, I wouldn't say like in a positive way. I mean, I'm not Mr. Positivity, but uh, in a more sympathetic way. You know, you can't blame somebody for doing something. Uh, you know, committing a crime. At a, you know, when they're young, um, it, it's they're more of a product of their their environment. To use a cliche. Um, and, you know, when they, I guess it's up to them afterwards to learn from their mistake. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't, you know, they just keep, they keep, you know, falling into the same cycle, same pattern. Um, but does that mean, let's say this person that I'm talking about is Hispanic, does that mean all Hispanics are bad people? No way, no way. Immigrants come here to work and to make a living and to, Give their families what you know uh, what they didn't have. Um, that's what my parents did. Uh, absolutely, my absolutely. My grandfather was from Sicily. He barely spoke English. Yeah. You know, like yeah. when he didn't know a word, he would, he actually had a telephone book because it would like have A B C. Like you're supposed to log people's names, but he would use that to put like the word he didn't know, and then he would go home and look it up. And then, like, you know, so I actually have that down in my basement somewhere. Like, it's kind of cool because, like, here we are, like, third, three generations later with me. Would I be second generation or third generation? Uh, your grandfather, that would make you then second my, generation. So second generation, none of us even speak Italian. Meanwhile, he couldn't even speak Italian. I mean, couldn't speak English. He, all he spoke was Italian. So, right. you know, it's interesting how that happens. First generation, my, both my parents came from, from Italy, from Sicily. You know, I grew up uh, in a very old school kind of household. Um, my parents really couldn't relate to what it was like to be um, an American kid growing up in the 80s. Uh, you know, my parents didn't have food. You know, my father was, you know, when he was a kid, he, he watched a herd of sheep, you know, for a loaf of bread a day. You know, he grew up during World War Two. No, there was really no food. They would have to like sneak into people's gardens to, to eat, you know, to steal yeah, fruit. It's crazy. Yeah, it, it is. It is <laughs> crazy. So, you know, there's a there, there was a lot that they just didn't get, you know, about especially when it came to the needs of a, a young kid living in, in the United States. Um, but you got, you know, I got through it. You know, um, you didn't get everything you wanted. <laughs> you didn't get it when you wanted. But, um, you know, for, uh, again, for me, it was always music. You know, it's one thing. My, my father was always into into music and introduced me to the, you know, I heard him listening to the Beatles and Elvis and Johnny Cash. And Very cool. And, um, and I got into the Rolling Stones and, and, you know, then I got into, you know, this is when I was like, you know, eight years old, nine years old. 
that's what I was listening to. And then, you know, eventually I started getting into hard rock and metal. And then I picked up the guitar and it was metal. Um, you know, if you're learning, if you want to be, that's what we were listening, that's what was on the radio, you know, was Van Halen and, and all that bad metal that came from the West Coast. Um, it's, it's not all bad, come on. <laughs> yeah, well, now it's fun. Now it's, some, some of it's fun to listen to, but, uh, you know, if you wanted to learn how to play, play, like you wanted, you know, I thought that, like, learning how to play fast or a lot of notes was the way to learn how to play. That helped me get to a certain level, but then, like, I just kind of, like, hit a wall, and I'm, you know, and then um, somebody introduced me to punk rock, and that changed everything for me. You know, there's a lot more to music than just playing guitar solos, you know, a lot more to guitar playing than playing guitar solos. You know, there's songwriting, there's... Uh, there's noise, there's sound, there's, um, you know, there, there's this creative side to it where one doesn't even really have to know how to play this music. Um, and that, I really identified with, uh, with a lot of that, like, like Huskadu was a big influence on me and uh, The Replacements and Soul Asylum and all the, the Minneapolis stuff that's coming out of Minneapolis and, um, you know, uh, the Minutemen and um, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, there's just so many bands and they, they all, I mean, I got into all of them like almost at once, you know, it's just like a, a buying frenzy, you know, that's listening frenzy. It's like, oh my God, you know, if I like this, they'll, you know, you read in a fanzine or a friend tells you about another band, hey, if you like that, then you're going to love this and you want to get it. Um, Absolutely. Rest, <laughs> uh, rest in peace. But um, yeah, that making that transition from from rock and metal to punk rock really uh, gave me helped help me uh, find like a real identity in music. So was Garden Variety the first band that you did with like a uh, punk rock, or was it a bunch of bands and then you ended up? meeting up with the guys from Garden Variety. Well, Anthony Roman and I grew up around the corner from each other. Okay. So we were friends playing baseball and doing all kinds of things before we started playing music. <clears throat> and then we, we started learning how to play our, you know, our instruments. And we played it like in a cover band. Um, you know, just doing R.E.M. and uh, we do Chuck Berry and uh, what else will we do? Um a little bit of replacements and you know I didn't even really know who the replacements were he Roman got me into a lot of good music I, I credit him for that um, then we got he and I got serious and we we're playing with these two other guys who were really close friends and they didn't seem like they wanted to get serious about it you know um, not that we not serious in the in the way that we wanted to make money you know, hey, let's make this our career. Yeah. No, it wasn't that at all. It was just playing music that we like to play. So we, I put an ad out in the paper in the um, Island Deer. Okay. Um, that paper, a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> I was just looking for a drummer, and the influences listed were uh, the replacements, Squirrel Bait, Husker Du, I believe. And uh, I got a couple of calls, and then Joe, Joe Gorilla called, and that was it. You know, we started playing with him. That was the beginning of Garden Variety. 
And what year was that? That was 1990. Okay. And we, you know, we started off doing a lot of covers, and but we, we were do we were writing while we were playing covers, just just to fill out a set or to uh, spend out fun. We're doing like uh, Dinosaur Junior and Mud Honey and uh, Buffalo Tom. Um, yeah, we, we were just having fun. We we didn't really have. You know a goal like we you know so just like organ- organically grew into what yeah, garden variety exactly. was we just started writing songs and then we played this show at this place called carol's place which was in i think an island park mm-hmm. and we uh, we were approached by vinnie Sigara who who uh, started mintone records and he asked us if we wanted to do a seven inch Cool. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, sure. Okay. And we we went down to uh, Inner Ear in DC with Gonzi and Tara. And in one day, we cut three songs. That was the Hedge 7 Inch. And, you know, and that was it. Then we had a, you know, you had a product, you have a record. And with that, we were able to play locally, you know, and sell seven inches at shows and then regionally and go up to. You know, to Massachusetts and uh, Rhode Island, and we went to Minneapolis. We played there. We played, you know, we did some stuff in the Midwest, as far as we can go. You know, um, cool. And um, so, yeah, that was the beginning of Garden Variety. Awesome, awesome. And how long did that go to like 95 ish, 96? 96. Okay. We put out two full length records, one that you had there, which came out on Gern, Blanston. Um, we booked our own tour. I booked it actually. Um, I booked most of it from you know coast to coast. We played some great shows. So pro- still my favorite tour. Okay. Um, you know we we got to play with Unwound and Jay Church and uh, we just we just had a great time. The first time is always the best. You know for for just about anything. You know everything was so new to us and and just like going out west and driving through the mountains and. We, you know, we played with uh, with Angel Hair. We became friends with Sonny from Angel Hair, and he, he helped out a lot. And um, so I started off with one phone number. <laughs> you know, Charles from Garn Blanston gave me one number to book a tour with, and I I, I think that was Sonny's number. Um, and I called him out in Colorado, and um, he gave me a bunch of other numbers, and I just started filling in the the, the map. You know, and within like two months, we we had like a full scale tour booked. Very cool, very cool. Uh, so that no, uh, oh, it's all right. Uh, I was just gonna say di- different from how things network now. Yeah. Because yeah, back then, like, there was no internet. Really, the internet wasn't what it was. There was no internet that I knew of. Nineteen. <laughs> this was, I guess, like ninety three. And you know, it was mailing cassettes to, to clubs. You know, um, yeah, that, that it was thinking about that now, like going to the post office every day with like all these envelopes with cassettes, cassettes of them, praying that they'll get there. You know, they put enough postage on them, you know. but uh, you know, that doing it that way worked out, you know. Cool, um, so yeah, and then, um, 
and then we, you know, we got back from playing shows and touring, and we started working on another record, and we, we signed with uh, Cargo Headhunter, who, um, who were based out of uh, San Diego, and uh, bands like Drive Like Jehu, and Tanner, and uh, Rocket from the Crypt, um, uh, just many great Southern California bands <laughs> were, were on them. Uh, definitely. Uh, uh, Blink-182 came from Cargo. Oh, cool, cool. Uh, and, uh, Rocket, uh, Rocket from the Crib, I remember them. Oh, they're a great band. Yeah, great band. We, we got to play with them um, out in San Diego on Halloween. That was a trip. Um, so, yeah, and then, you know, shortly, sadly enough, shortly after that, we broke up. Did the split come as a surprise to you, or was that, did you kind of see it coming, or did, were you kind of blindsided? No, I saw it. It was a, it was the result of a lot of, in hindsight, there were you know, just stupid things, you know, that that made made that happen. When we got on, the, we went on a very good tour. Uh, we were on tour with Into Another and Shift, which were two great bands. To be Into on Another, with. we had a lot of fun. Absolutely. But uh, it just wasn't really. We weren't, you know, we weren't really a hardcore. I was just going to say that because uh, you guys, um, there wasn't too many bands that I remember at that time coming around. And it was very, like, more angry stuff in the, in, uh, in, uh, 93 around there. Like, uh, even like the punk bands that were out there were like the casualties were coming up and they're like more grimy, dirty punk rock where you guys were a little more structured and, uh, you know, um, a good sound, but more structured. <laughs> It wasn't, you know, Liberty Spike Mohawks get drunk and no, antics we on stage. Regular guys. I mean, we didn't have any tattoos or anything like that. Yeah, it's um, like uh, now everybody has a tattoo. Now I think it's cool not to have a tattoo. Absolutely, I tell people that all the time. <laughs> people go, like, "I want to sleep out." Like, dude, don't, don't do anything. That's super cool. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you guys kind of like in the sense of a totally different genre, but remind me of like Helmet, where you're just like regular dudes, you right, know. Right, right. <laughs> You know, same thing where you guys got a cool vibe and you, uh, you'll you pick up fans from hardcore, but pick up fans from punk rock, but you're not either one of them. You're kind of like an in-between genre. Right, right, yeah. And that was, it was kind of tough being being in a band like that on Long Island at the time because a lot of the bands out here were hardcore bands. And that's not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it there were pros and cons to it. One, we got looked at as if we were a hardcore band because we were playing with hardcore bands. Um, but if you listen to us, uh, you could, you know, right away you would know that we weren't hardcore. Um, and especially... Plus it helped us kind of like stand out a little bit mm -hmm. um, from, you know, everything that was happening out here. I mean, there were a lot of good bands and we made a lot of good friends. Uh, we played with Super Touch, we played with Mind Over Matter. Um, just trying to think of bands that were from out here. Um, and like you know it's hard for like uh your style to actually win over fans of like mind over matter because they're like pretty aggressive and hardcore guys are pretty like a lot of times like if you ain't hardcore you ain't shit <laughs> like right. you know fuck yeah, them sellouts you know <laughs> Over and 
yeah, it just really wasn't our thing. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, some bands will refer to us as pussies. You know, it's like, hey. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, you know, it didn't really bother me. You know, but, you know, so certain bands would look at us at, at like that and they just didn't get what we're doing. Um, but, you know, being a hardcore band could mean that you're very one-dimensional. Absolutely, absolutely, uh, and uh, no, I could uh, I could see how that would weigh on the the band. Yeah, like I said, you're in like an in between category. You're not really quite punk rock. You're not really hardcore. You're almost maybe like a bridge to uh, like emo almost. Right. Which you know, I hope you don't take offense to that. I actually no, don't. I don't. Uh, I, don't. Um, I don't even know what that word means anymore. Yeah. Emo, emo. But yeah, there was some emo in there, of course. But we, you know, we did get to play with a lot of bands that were more like us, especially when we would play out in Manhattan, New Jersey. You know, we got to play with Hoover. We got to play with. Uh, we played with the Veil. Who else did we get to play? I mean, there's so many bands, dude. Um, we played on Brownies and CBGBs a lot. Um, we made friends with bands like Dahlia Seed, and uh, you know we got to play with Unwound out here in, in New Jersey. Um, you know, in a basement. You know, with this guy John Phillips, who was in Born Against, and uh, uh, this band called Great House. He had a house in New Jersey, and he would put on shows in the basement. They were great shows. You know? Nice, nice. Uh, it's one of the best venues I've ever played. <laughs> John Phillips' basement. Um, so yeah, we, we got to play with a lot of, you know, a variety of, of, you know, different, uh, sub genres of punk rock and hardcore. Yeah. Cause especially like 93, like I didn't get into you guys till after you guys, uh, were around, um. Like I, I was telling you earlier, or we was talking about uh, like '93. That's like when, you know, uh, I graduated high school and then my mom lost a house, and that's when I was like, feel, you know, really getting angry. And that was like more like uh, I was into like uh, hardcore, oi. Uh, I was doing metal bands with bands like Life of Agony, you know, <laughs> nothing positive, <laughs> you know. And, and uh, it's cool that you know I got your CD later on, and I'm glad because uh, it's a. Uh, I digested it differently, you know, than if I would have done it at that time. Right, you probably would have threw it away. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have been. Well, no, that got the car window. It would have been filed in the. I don't throw away CDs because I do know that one thing for me, um, even when I'm like, uh, it depends on what I'm listening to and what I'm digesting, is sometimes I'm not ready for a band. So I never throw them away, and I always just go back to them at some point. Sure. That's the one thing I do like about the computer is when I download a bunch of CDs on it, and then I can just hit shuffle, and I'll throw in bands that, like, I'm like, oh, I haven't listened to these guys in a while, and I'll, like, put it on for a little bit, and then I'll just throw it in and then to put it on the shuffle. And then next thing you know, I'm like, oh, that fucking CD kicks ass. I'm like, I don't know why I didn't listen to that, you know? Yeah. No, I've had that happen. I mean, now I'm aware of it. Like, I'll put something on and be like, ah, man, this is good, but I'm just... I can't get into it right now. Exactly. Yeah, I just don't have the mental space for it right now. And then, and then you get to it when you when you can. It doesn't matter as long as you. No, definitely. Uh, so, and then after uh, Garden Variety, you ended up playing with uh, Vic Thrill. Well, there was a. Which is over uh, a few years. Well, not a few. Years. Billy. Campion. Billy Campion. Yeah. Campion, Campion from the Bogman. Yeah, we knew the Bogman. They were a New York band. Um, we had a mutual friend, Phil. Phil Palazzolo, who who did sound for them. He also did sound for us. He worked on our records. 
um, that's how we were introduced to them, and they were just great guys. We just, you know, we didn't sound anything alike musically, but we had, we just all liked to have a good time. You guys click together good. Yeah. Because hey, Billy seems like an interesting character. I like. Yes, he is. He's a very <laughs> colorful character, a very creative guy. I, I yeah. Can't say enough, enough great things about Billy. Very eccentric. To say the least. <laughs> Uh, but before, right after Garden Variety, I started getting into uh, like you know con- like country music and Sunvolt, and I was always into bands like that, like Uncle Tupelo, and uh, you know, I used to listen to a lot of country music even you know during Garden Variety. And um, after uh, after Garden Variety, I started playing that kind of music and you know trying to learn how to play like that and. I started playing in a band called Four on Floor with Roman from Grand Variety and uh, his uncle, his uncle Freddie Frogs, who, I mean, where do I start with Freddie? Uh, Freddie was, uh, you know, he, he played in a band called the BMTs. He, he had like a long career in music, ups and downs, and I was always a fan of his when I was a little kid. You know, wanted to be like him. You know, like I'd see him getting ready to go on tour, and you know, him and his band, you know, going off to England. Um, and they were, you know, just to give you an idea of like what they sounded like. They, they were kind of, they were like, they were big in the Matches Kansas City scene. They, okay. they did like R and B, punk, rockabilly, doo-wop. Uh, they were incredible. <laughs> Nobody will ever know who they are. I have live recordings of them um, playing at Max's Kansas City and playing a, in in London, and it's just mind blowing, like how good they were. And uh, they, you know, they played with Stray Cats okay. uh, here and very cool uh, bands like that. And um, so he wasn't doing anything after Garden Variety broke up, and um, so he's like, "Hey, you guys want to play with me? You know, we'll do like a rock and roll, R and B, rockabilly thing." And we did. And just at that time, the whole swing music thing started happening. Okay. Um, and, you know, in New York, and I, I guess nationally too, where you know, the Squirrel Nut Zippers and I don't even know if that's the name of the band, but, <laughs> um, but there are a lot of really good bands in New York, like the Flip the Doors. Um, who else? Man, I'm a night guy. Just, just so the audience knows, we're in the afternoon. Um, yeah, so am I. I. I'm like in the middle of like uh, now that I have a son, like a middle of a transition, because right. I've worked nights my whole life, and now I have to get up early. So like I don't even know what's a good time for me, because now like I crash at the end of the night when that used to be like my prime time for drawing and all that stuff. So I don't even know what I'm still trying to figure it out myself. I'm still up till two, three o'clock. Doesn't matter. The Blues Jumpers was the band I was thinking of. Okay. Um, they would all they would play at this club called Louisiana's downtown, and they were that was probably like one of the hotter spots for that scene. You had professional swing dancers who show up and dance, and the bands were great. It, it was just like really, it's almost it's like jumping in a time machine uh, and going back to the forties. You know? And what year is this around? This is ninety seven, ninety eight. Okay. Uh, probably hit its peak in 98, 99. Um, and that's, you know, I was doing that. And then I got a call from Billy about starting something new. And that was 99. Okay. And I started playing with him. And that was the uh, beginning of the flip. Very cool. 
Because that whole swing thing, I missed. <laughs> that, yeah, if you swing, you missed it. Yeah. yeah. Sure. yeah. <laughs> and if you weren't into that kind of music, you definitely had no idea what was happening. Yeah, which now, like, I am into a little bit, like, uh, Big Voodoo Daddy, you know, bands like that, you know. Right. So, like, I know a little bit of swing now. Sure. And, uh, but it, it's, yeah, so I missed that whole scene. So, that you just dropped a whole bunch of knowledge on me. <laughs> I'm going to have to, like, go back, listen, and, like, start looking them up. <laughs> You should. It's fun music, uh, especially like the the real old stuff, like Louis Prima. Like, what a band! I mean, knock your socks off, man. Um, My wife's big into swing, so she'll be happy. Tap into her uh, her her collection. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So then, that was the beginning of the thrill. Cool. How long did that last? That lasted for seven years. All right. Yeah. Uh, we put out two full-length records, um, and uh, maybe an EP in between there somewhere. And I mean, what do you want to know about Big Thrill? I, I mean, there's so much to tell. A lot, you know. I, the best I could say is it was a very DIY thing. You know, we we weren't getting signed. You know, we, we, the whole uh, like post-punk resurgence dance punk thing was really happening in in the city with um, and with Strokes and, and Yeah Yeah Yeahs and Radio 4 which was Roman's band um, all those bands were doing really well and um, we weren't doing that we were kind of like doing something that was more of a world um, Afrobeat-ish, uh, Brian Eno-esque. I mean, it, there were so many different sounds that went into Big Thrill. There were really no rules as to what you know you could bring to the table as long as it worked. You know, a lot of it was electronic. The, you know, the foundation of it was electronic. The way you used a, uh, a drum machine and and a laptop and so that was pretty much like the foundation for for the sound and then that you know we had a lot you know real drums and guitars and bass and uh, turntables at times and yeah if you haven't heard it you should uh should check it out it's it's a wild ride yeah no i enjoyed it i didn't even know where like what category it is like uh you know i kind of was uh I was looking up stuff on YouTube and uh, some stuff he's like playing acoustics and some stuff is like you said a lot of computers, a lot of dance style. Right. Well, Billy's still he he still uh, performs as Vic Thrill. Yes. And he does it himself. Sometimes I will join him, you know, if it's right, if it, you know, if I have time or you know if it's something that makes sense. Um, but he's still yeah he he does a residency at Pete's Candy Store on Sundays. Um, and he's great. He's, he's still writing and, and putting out music. He still sounds fresh and always like on, you know, on, on the you know the cutting edge side of things. You know? uh, very creative, very creative guy. One of, probably one of the most creative people that I've ever worked with. Yeah, no. I... He would just take you to another level of thinking. You know? And I really, really loved that aspect of playing with him. Um, if you know, if you came up with something, um, 
you know, if he came to you really quickly, and he, he always encouraged you to go out and try to expand. Try, yeah, try to to uh, what I'm looking for. Uh, reach reach deeper. Go down deeper and and keep keep digging. Yeah. That's cool. That's good to have people around like that. Yeah, uh, I learned a lot um, from from that method of, of writing and creating. Um, yeah, we had a lot of fun. We did a lot of great things that, that he put together on his own. We opened up the Devo. Um, Very cool. Yeah, we uh, you know we we did it. We toured the UK. We, we played in Italy a couple of times, festivals, and um, and this was all him getting stuff. Because we, like I said, we didn't really have any representation, and we didn't have uh, a label, so he did it all himself, and um, and it was uh, it, it was quite the experience. But you know, it got to the point where it 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 was always fulfilling creatively for me, but then it just got to the point where it it just felt like. It was going on a little too long, and, and it just—it's really if, when you don't have a machine behind you, it's really hard to keep something going, mm. because that machine provides you with the resources that are hard for you to come by, like you know, like money, yeah, and you know, uh, contacts in the right places. So, and time—you know—that's all very time-consuming to do that and to be creating the music at the same time could wear wear you out. You know, and um, and I think that's where it it got to that point. You know, where it was just um, it was taking too long for things to really happen. It was hard to build off of something that already happened, um, whether it's a show or the review or something. And um, it just started to you know it just started to wane. And I just felt like the time was right to move on and, and do something else. But I love Billy. And Huh. Um, All right, so when did you have children? Um, 2012. 2012. One child. One child. And so your daughter's six? She's going to be six uh, in a couple of weeks, actually. Very cool. Yeah, she's in first grade. She's, um, and she's a daddy's girl. Awesome. Yeah. Her name is Luciana. Bringer of light. All Lou, Lucia, Luciana. It all stems from Lucifer. <laughs> I don't even know how to react to that. It's true though. I mean, wasn't he the angel of light or something like that? Um, the fallen angel, Lucifer. Um, but it, yeah, it, not that that inspired us. It just sounded like we're big Lucinda Williams fans. I don't know if you know who Lucinda Williams is, but uh, she's a singer-songwriter, great, great writer. Um, so we, we we thought about going with Lucinda because it's such a pretty name and mm-hmm. it something to us. And we're like, oh, that might be a little too obvious. So we kind of gave it an Italian spin. Okay. Um, so we went with Luciana, and, um, and she's a blast. You know, she's a creative kid. She loves to paint and draw and you know play music well she's not 
she doesn't play an instrument. She dabbles with the piano. We've given her piano lessons, and um, she takes dance and anything that's creative is good with. It's fine with us. Okay. Do not want to deprive her of any any of that. You know, like it, when when I was growing up, there. You know, I was. You know, I was an artist. I used to love to draw, and I was always like the the artist in my class. And but like you know, my parents didn't nurture that side of me. You know, and um, you know they, as you know, working class people, didn't really see any value. In that, you know, um, and when I, you know, started taking an interest in music, they they really didn't encourage that much either. You know, but. You know, I had a paper round. I was making my own money, so <laughs> I got myself guitar lessons, and you know, and bought a guitar, and, and, and then I bought a, you know uh, an amp. But it was all like my own money. You know? Okay, so you're pushing the arts with your daughter. Yeah, yeah. definitely. You see a value in it? Uh, of course I do. Of course I do, and it's, it's not a monetary value, but I just want to feed the soul. Sorry about that. Are you saying like you were scared when you started having a? Absolutely. Um, and we did. We put out a record um, a few years ago, and um, did you get 
find on iTunes or on, or Reverb Nation. It's called Raise the Dead. Uh, but I'm getting away from what I was talking about. Um, so they, so we bring Lou to our shows. Okay. You know I mean? Cool. Um, it's not. You know, it's not all about excluding her and so that we can go out and do our thing. We we try to incorporate her. Sometimes she'll jump on stage and start blabbing and singing. And one time she had an entire audience singing the alphabet. Nice. Uh, so <laughs> it, it, it could be fun, you know. Um, yeah, I see. I think I went in the opposite way where I was like, yeah, I got this. Like when I was having a son, <laughs> you know, I was like, I got this. This is going to be a problem. And then like a year into it, and I couldn't, I figured out that like tattooing isn't happening right now. And just like my whole life is about to change. I was, that's when I had my mini meltdown. I was like, ah, yeah. help. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, like, like yesterday, for example, I just felt like playing a guitar, so I picked up the acoustic guitar, and I just started strumming away, and she went in her room, came back with maracas, and we wrote, improvised a song about maracas, you know, and she sang a verse, we traded verses and choruses, and, and it was fun, you know, it's, and she gets a kick out of it, and, you know, it's definitely something that I want her to be around, you know, it, it can only enrich her life. Even if she decides later on that she had wants nothing to do with art and music, you know, it was she go you know, it was part of her life and part of who she is, you know. She'll have she'll always have that, like a, a, a different understanding of what that means and how important that is. Um, Absolutely. This this June me, my wife took our son to uh Hunter Mountain for the the festival there. So my son's already done a three day festival. We camped out there and everything with him. Had a blast. Had a blast. And uh, you know, uh, you just obviously we couldn't see every single band we wanted to see. We got to really narrow it down to the ones that we absolutely wanted to see. And uh, you got to go at a little slower pace because he's three years old. And you know, you got exactly. So what other things do you do with your daughter to incorporate her into your lifestyle? Um, well, that's enough. <laughs> that's really where you're submerged is in music, right? Well, you know, when I, was, when I was working on Marin, I, I worked on a TV show. Uh, Marin featured Mark Marin. It was, it was on um, the IFC channel. I did that for four seasons, and um, I did that with Roman. Roman You know, that was really tough to do because you, know, you have deadlines and there's a constant workflow. And um, there were times where I had to do it, you know, with, with her next to me. You know, I'd be at the computer, with, you know, having the amp mic'd up in another room. And, and she's, you know, down on the floor, you know, coloring, drawing, or doing something. And she'd look up and be like, Daddy, I like, I, you know, I really like that song, Daddy. You know, so, you know, she, you, you know, what am I not going to work? do what I, what had to be done, you know, so I brought her into the studio and, and worked, you know, many times with her, and, 
and it worked out. You know, it's a little frustrating. Daddy, you need a drink. Daddy, you need to go to the bathroom. Daddy, 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 daddy. daddy. But, you know, you, you, you still you get it done. I, I hear you. I hear you. Find a way to do it. Like, I try and uh, do, like, the intros with my son around, but, like, as soon as he sees the microphone, he's like, yeah, he starts singing and stuff, and I'm like, all right, well, that he'll scrap that, but, right. <laughs> you know, it's another song for Dylan, put that on there. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah, I have my phone is full of loose songs. Yeah, I'll sometimes do, like, uh, ACDC, like, uh, DT, you know, it's just, like, an instrumental, so I'll put that on, and then I'll just let him sing over it, right. <laughs> he gets so happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's you know, she's a lot of fun in that way and um and she's all, always doing something I I try not to let her go without like paints and things to color on, you know, or draw on and you know, she's into like she makes these books like you know and she'll scotch tape the pages together and she'll make these like how to you know, books, okay. whatever it is that she wants to do, and, you know, she draws, and, and you know, she'll write on the cover, illustrated by Luciana <laughs> and uh, written by Luciana Rizzo. Um and she's only five, and she's taken, has taken an interest in doing things like that. I don't know if other kids do that, and if they do, that's great, but it, what's important to me is that she's into that, you know, she's into expressing herself. Um, and that's um, to me that, and that's one of the most valuable things you can give a child like a, a uh, platform for, for them to express themselves you know um, so making sure that she's <laughs> she's got like supplies to do it with and plenty of little musical instruments and ukuleles and you know piano lessons and yeah. yeah that's my big push to uh, get my basement finished to like make a whole play area so we can just do like stuff <laughs> you know art set up an art corner and all that stuff right. so uh trying to get there <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah i feel like uh sometimes i feel like uh i should be pushing harder and almost like i'm lazy but you know it's at the same time you don't want to ignore your child and like you know like oh i'll start paying attention to you in three months from now when i get this done like right. you know because that i don't know Time just whoops now that I have a child. It's a <laughs> Our apartment, which we're moving out of shortly, is, is it's a disa- disaster. It's just, it's got, everywhere you look, there's, you know, there's her artwork, and there's, we have a, a, an area rug that's just, like, got paint all over it. Just we've given up. You know, <laughs> like, all right, she's, she's five, or this started when she was two or three. Like, we're not, we're not going to have nice things mm-hmm. for a while. <laughs> So you just kind of like, you know, you got to be cool with that and accept it. And, you know, and the trade-off is, you know, uh, a happier child, I guess, you know. Um, so, yeah, there's just stuff all over the place. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 looking around, there's toys all over. This becomes part of your furniture. It's part of the decor. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Good. I feel better about my. I was like, "Word, my house is a mess." <laughs> no way, man. When you have young kids. It's, it's tough to to keep things in order. You know, you just you do the best you can and try not to let it get to you. Uh, absolutely. Are you guys religious? Do you guys? Because you're Italian, so usually, uh, 
Italians that go to church? Are you a church-going family, or uh, no, no. is there a reason you opt out of that? Um, well, I was raised a Catholic. My my wife was raised Catholic and and Baptist, and um, you know, I, would, I went to church on holidays when I was a kid. You know, my mom would go to church more often, and um, and she would always like do these weird Catholic ritual things, like in the living room with candles and Bible and her little Italian Bible. Um, you know, she. You know, I was confirmed and uh, received communion and all that stuff. And, but my daughter, we have, you know, she's not even baptized. All right. You know, and it's it's not that we don't believe in something. You know, I I just, you know, uh, to be honest, I really don't know where we're at with it because that's something that needs to be addressed. Um, you know, as far as religion goes, you know. There's a saying, you know, um, I love the band, but I hate the fans. <laughs> you know, uh, so we have our own, you know, I don't need to go to church to feel closer to God. Or, you know, it, I, you know, I believe that if you, you, you teach your child the difference between wrong and right isn't that what you learn in when you go to when you take religion classes when you're when you're a kid um, plus you know I'm not really down with the Catholic Church because of all the you know all the uh, priests pedophile priests that are that are coming out and that's been going on for a long time and you know the church has been, been ignoring it these people are criminals and they belong in jail absolutely absolutely you know, for a long time i don't think that if you're a man of god you're yeah. Not yeah that's god. as far as i go i think that's like the worst thing you could do actually to a person the most demonic thing you could do to a child yeah yeah feeding off the innocent you know, and most yeah. people are, you know, that you know they have their kids baptized and you know and communion and they get confirmed they don't even go to church yeah you know it's yeah. just kind of like a tradition tradition yeah, yeah. which exactly. which we did the first yeah yeah we did the baptism with my son um but uh we haven't been to church ever since and uh you know like for me like i figure um you know, like I talk to him about life and death with like when we find dead bugs and we just start in like to process that and I'm like, hey, where do you think they go? And he's like, I don't know. And I just let him try and figure it out. And, uh, you know, as uh, time goes on and like he asks about religions, we'll go and explore them and not just like the Catholic Church, but we'll explore them all. And uh, like these are the different ideas that these people have. These are the different ideas that these people have. And I wanted to be very clear that uh, not one person has the right way because nobody really does know. That's just so that's the um, idea that I'm trying to raise my son with, um, you know, as a, you know, punk rock uh, always a question authority and uh, you know don't just believe someone else's word <laughs> you know yeah there are a lot of hypocrites man um, so it's hard it's hard to um, you know to to believe in in what 
a group of people are preaching when they're doing the exact opposite. Absolutely. And so, like, you know, I don't, I don't want to fall into that category, you know. Uh, I'd rather be honest about who I am. You know, and I, I don't want to impose any beliefs on my child, you know. Like, but again, like, this is something that's going to have to be addressed. If it's done correctly, it is a good foundation for, for a kid, you know, in, in learning about, you know, what's wrong and what's right. And, you know, or, you know, what would Jesus do? You know, um, I don't think... I just don't think that. I think she's too young to really understand what all of that means. And when I was young, I, I was, you know, I had a fear of God. You know, like it wasn't healthy. Absolutely. You know, and that was more of my my mother. You know, doing that sort of thing. I, I don't want to do that to to my kids. You know. Yeah. I that that um, that guilt, that burden of guilt that you carry. Absolutely. Anything that hinders someone's uh, freedom and personal growth, I am absolutely against. And I think by like forcing a religion on your child, you're somewhat actually uh, almost uh, putting restrictions on their growth and the way they think. Because now they have this set of rules that they have to follow and this boogeyman's looking out for them, right. you know. It's like you're under surveillance. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so it's already you like it's already part of uh, 1984, you know, like you know it's already starting to limit the way you think, and I th- and I th- I think you hit it on the head before when you said just teaching your kids about morals and you know, yeah, good things come from the Catholic religion, which I'll take, you know, you know, do one that you to others as you want done to yourself. I think that pretty much that's all I really need. I'll borrow that. Thank you. And, uh, you know, like when my son hits somebody, I say, hey, you, you want me to hit you in the face? And, you know, we start talking about it. And he, you know, most of the stuff is cleared up pretty fast and he hasn't continued doing it. I don't think he needs that fear that he's going to go to a very bad place. <laughs> right, if he makes a mistake. Yeah. If he uses the F word or... Because that's what I used to think when I was a kid. If I cursed, then we're going to go to hell. <laughs> You know, well, especially when you're an adolescent and you're learning about sex and you start noticing women and you know, girls, women, whatever. But uh, <laughs> I guess and women. Yeah, that, that goes too. <laughs> you, uh, you know, these these urges and those feelings are very natural, and to feel like you're sinning, yeah, as you're getting to know your body, um, that's. That's a, that's not very pro- a progressive way of, of living and, and thinking. You know, you're 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 burdening yourself. You know, you're absolutely. You're walking you're you're walking around with all this baggage of guilt. You know, because you're suddenly you think you're you're not a good person, but it's your it's nature that's yeah. making that happen. It's your it's hormones. It's there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with it. And, you know? And that's that burden is what I was kind of talking about, like where I feel like it actually starts uh, changing who you are and what you're going to grow into because you, you have all these worries and fears and now, you know, you're trying to shape to be okay. And instead of you just naturally shaping yourself and making decisions on your own, now you got this outside force that's constantly, you know, uh, pushing its way into your thought pattern. Yeah. 
you know, uh, that's the biggest thing that I'm trying to do with my son is just let him, you know, like, just let him be him. You know, like, uh, he's starting to get a really good sense of humor. Um, you know, I, I remember, like, you know, if you have an older brother, you just... I don't. Okay, you don't have an older brother. Okay. Older sister. Older sister. Okay. So, older sibling. So, if you have an older sibling, half the time when you're saying, you know, you're joking around, they think you, your sense of humor is stupid. So, then you start trying to change your sense of humor to make them funny, right. you know, so that they'll think you're funny. And I think that uh, that uh, limits your creativity because now something that you could have created or uh, something that uh, you could go off with, like... Uh, Jesus, I, I, it's like a thought that I'm working on here. Basically, you know, um, you start developing to other people rather than just developing naturally on your own. And some of the most interesting characters that I, I like are people that are, don't live with restrictions and just kind of free flow. Right. So I just want my son to basically free flow. And, I don't, you know, obviously I'm going to correct him when his behavior is wrong. Right. But I want him to develop his own personality instead of me trying to shape his personality. Right. Yeah. No, I'm I'm on board with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I want her to be her, to her her fullest. I don't want to control her and you know her mind, her thoughts. Um, you know, they, I mean, there are morals and values that will be instilled in her just from just from living day to day with you know, with people and being around people that care about her, you know, um, I don't need to teach her about Jesus yet, you know, um, she should know who Jesus is, you know, and, and what his message was and, and how, you know, and it was, and it is an important message, it changed the world, you know, there are a lot of religions that have positive messages you know it's just that when people take things to the extreme and they start making it they start making it their own they tailor it to to fit their lifestyle or a political reason, agenda yeah yeah that that too but i remember uh seeing this uh, interview with joe strummer and he um was talking about rock the casbah and he was saying that, you know, in, in Iran, if you got caught with a disco record, you know, you got 50 lashes, you know, and, um, and he went on to say that, you know, there's no, there's no humanity in fanaticism, which I thought was, you know, a brilliant statement. And that's what the song Rock the Casbah, uh, that's what it's about. That's the crux of the, of the tune. And, and I thought that was brilliant and it resonated with me and, you know, I get it. You know, like once you take things to the extreme, that's when things get weird. You know, that's when you start forcing your beliefs on other people and, and that's when you start, when, uh, you know, societies start, uh, uh, you know, coming down on other groups of people and it, you know, that's that's wrong, you know. It, you know, that's how a lot of these religious wars are started. You know, that's how that's what what happens. Absolutely. You know, one once one group of people have a very conservative uh, set of beliefs, and if other people don't adhere to that, 
you know, they tell them that they're going to burn in hell or that they're breaking some kind of religious law and they should die for it, you know. That doesn't make any sense. You know? Absolutely. It makes absolutely no sense. Religion should be based on, on love and tolerance and, you know, and uh, accepting people for, for who they are and forgiving them. You know, if you don't agree with them, you should still love them. Yeah. Uh, not to get all hippy dippy yeah. on, on you, but I mean. No, I, I completely understand what you're saying. This is how I try and raise my son with the, those values rather than actually the church, you know. Right. So, and uh, from the sounds of it, that's how you're raising your daughter. And I think that's how we're going to have a, a better future. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the drawing of lines. Like right now we have in our, you know, in the United States, you have, you know, the left wing, right wing, where like there's so many things that I know for me, I'm right down the middle on a lot of issues. And it's like nobody's talking reason. Like you guys are so far left, you're out of your noodle. And the other people so far right, you're out of your noodle. Like, can we actually talk and make compromises to make us function as a society that. Right. There's a common ground that needs to be met. Um, that makes. The mo- which would probably make the most sense, um, but that's you know that get, that's really complicated because that's very specific to u- the United States, because we have something called separation of church and state, um, which is one of the most important things about living in the U.S. is is that you know religion should not mix with politics, and, and once that starts to happen, things really go downhill. That's you know that's what you know uh, extremism is yeah. you know um, in in a lot of different ways you know economically uh, you know politi- politically and uh, religion and you know uh, it's all I, I think it's all you know it's kind of, I don't want to say it's by design but it, it with you know with the people who are in power right now. They, you know, Trump and, and his whole plan. He, you know, he, people like like the fact that he's not a politician and that he speaks his mind and he always says what he's thinking. Well, you know, if you're the leader of the free world, you can't do that. You know, you can't say, you know, uh, you know, the clash between, uh, you know, people rallying for the for white power and those who oppose it. You can't say that there are bad people on both sides. <laughs> you know? And he did. And when he did that, he divided the country. And um, and he, you know, and not to get into him, but you know, he he's a liar, and you know, and and he spreads his propaganda through Fox News, and and his supporters eat it up with knife and fork, and it's. It's scary what's happening in our in our country right now. Um, hopefully things could level out, you know. And like we were, I was talking to you outside. Yeah, the economy is supposed to be doing great, and you know, you know the job market is great, uh, which is yeah, that's good because most people need two or three jobs to get by, you know. Um, so things are completely lopsided economically. You know, and it has been for. For as long as I can remember. So, 
with all absolutely i fully agree with you and uh with all these things that we we're just talking about politically how did do you think about how um what lessons to give to your daughter to try and curb her thinking to be more uh yeah i guess like you were saying compassionate and loving and all that stuff is it, do you think that's going to help the future or uh absolutely she's already getting that in school you know she's coming home and talking to me about diversity and how there are different people all over the world and how we're all the same you know we're they're all part of a, a rainbow you know different colors you know and that's a beautiful message for a child and she learned that in kindergarten you know and she comes home with it and we expound on it and we talk to her more about it you know and that we're all the same we should all love each other and just because we look different doesn't mean that we're different on the inside you know we all have feelings and Yeah, my wife came. I got to look up the book. My wife came uh, home with a book. Um, it was like uh, the yellow color people and the blue color people. And uh, at some point they divide and they won't talk to each other. But then like a yellow person falls in love with a blue person and they make green. Right. You know, right. and I just thought that was a great way of explaining it. Well, Dr. Seuss, the, the yeah. butter battle. Uh, that, yeah. Not that familiar. Yeah, it's about two different uh, societies. Uh, one group eats their bread with the butter side up and the other group eats their bread with the butter side down. It's <laughs> and there's butter on it. Doesn't matter if it's up or down. I mean that that's the the idea behind the book. Is that you're really just the same. But, you know, you're you're dividing you're separating yourself because of a, a stupid belief of what's right. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, uh, when did you get into doing like documentaries? When did that come into play? Um, not too long after Vic Thrill, I, I just had this desire to make my own music, record my own music. So, I, you know, I got Pro Tools and bought an iMac and started learning how to do that. And, um, and um, my a good friend of mine, yeah, Anthony Roman, he was doing music supervision and composing for TV. And um, he would ask me, hey, do you want to work on something? Do you want to work on this, this TV ad? Do you want to work on, you know, there's a, a TV series I'm working on. You want to try doing something for it? And, and that's how we started learning how to do that stuff. And uh, so, yeah, that's how that happened, you know. Um, and uh, and then, you know, after we, we worked on Marin together, we did this other TV show called Lights Out, which was on FX. And that was, it was a very short-lived, great show, but it only lasted a season. Um, then, you know, uh, a filmmaker friend of mine, Chris Cassidy, contacted me about working on documentary that he's uh, been working on uh, for me to do the music for and it, that's called Dennis and Lois and it's about a, it's a couple who are they're, they're probably like in their 60s now but uh, they, they became famous like in the inner circles of bands um, they started doing merch for the Ramones back in the, in the 70s and 
and they they've been touring with bands and and supporting bands and doing merchandise for bands and ever since you know and it's been it's like a, it's really it's a film about a, a an alternative lifestyle and how these these two people have devoted their lives to to music and to exploring new music and being involved in new music and and being friends with the bands and and doing their merchandise and uh, you know the Happy Mondays wrote a uh, a song about them called uh, uh, it's called Dennis and Lois you know like they're they're famous like in that world you know, especially okay. with a lot of Manchester bands. Smiths and uh, and you know the Happy Mondays and and uh, the the Fall um, and a lot of newer bands you know Elbow and these are all bands that are featured in the in the film New Order um, yeah so it's that's what the film is about you know and uh, and they're a fascinating couple yeah. so what's the uh, difference with the creative uh experience like how do you write differently from a musician to uh, like a documentary like do you watch the documentary and, and just uh let it rip or <laughs> well, i mean you have to serve the piece that you work on you have to serve if it's the doc you have to serve the documentary and you have to help tell the story um so it's okay yeah it's a totally different approach from like writing music for a band um because a lot of it is isn't something that you would write for a band you know it's it's score and some of it is band like uh in this case a lot of the music in the dennis and lois stock some it's like uh alternative punk oriented um which you know is uh it, it, which i'm very comfortable with and um and some a lot of it's also score you know like more atmospheric kind of mm -hmm. tones and and sounds and you just kind of have to be honest and not do something just because you like it it's got to serve the film and if it doesn't you'll be told that it's not working and you have to do it again yeah same thing with Marin. okay um you write i would write like a bunch of cues even before i'd see a, a second of of um series mm -hmm. just start writing 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 and then they start picking things that work and then you would then you get the picture and you would start writing with the picture and but it's again it's it's the same kind of process it's helping to tell the story <laughs> was Marin a little bit easier than a regular documentary no, not at all <laughs> no, they, they both have their own challenges okay. Because, uh, like, I know with Marin, like, he plays a lot of bluesy riffs and stuff. He's into that um, on his podcast. Right. So were you able to take, like, a little cue from that and run with it? Um, yeah, I, you know, I guess it, that turned out to be the tone musically. It was kind of bluesy, sometimes country. It, it really depended on the scene, you know, like. You know, sometimes it'd be a little jazzy. Sometimes it'd be hard rocking. Sometimes it would be, you know, a two-second little 
piece of music to get you from one scene to the next. Um, but you could do dozens of them and they don't work. You know, it's, it ultimately, it's not up to me what's going to work or not. It's up to the producers. Um, so it could, yeah, it could be a very uh, stressful, annoying process, but you have to reach, you got to reach deep and, and figure it out. Then that um, does it help knowing like uh, when you used to work with Billy? Did, is that something that like uh, he helped you with? Like uh, what you were saying before, reaching down and just finding something. Every experience, yeah. Every every musical experience I, I had up until I started composing, everything that I had done before that helped me do that. Okay. And a lot of it was collaborating, you know, um, with different people. And when you're working on a film or, or a TV series, you're still collaborating with people, even if you're doing all the music yourself. Yeah, music is a very small part of it. Absolutely. You know, script, story, the acting, there, there's so many things that come before the music. But you, when it's time for you to, to uh, compose a piece of music, it has to aid all of that. It has to flow with all of that. Um, and it's... Sometimes it comes easy, and sometimes it doesn't. You know, sometimes you really have to reach, try, you know, scrap everything that you did, get that last tune out of your head, and do something completely fresh and new. You know, in you know by tomorrow morning. You know. Yeah. So it's it's challenging, but I love it. Oh. I, I love doing it. It's I've always been I've always been a huge fan of television and movies. And to be able to uh, to work on TV and film from the music side of things is ex ex insanely fulfilling to me. Like I, I love doing it. And the film that I worked on with, with Chris Cassidy um, is something that I'm immensely proud of. I, I think the film is great. It's going to be um, featured in the New York City Doc Festival. Oh, very cool. Which is coming up in November. And... Um, I can't wait. I can't wait to see it on, on the screen and to hear it. Absolutely. <laughs> it's these the subjects of the of the doc, Dennis and Lois. They're they're fascinating people. They have an inc an insane toy collection. Like every inch of their house is occupied by a toy. Like they don't use their kitchen. Like if you look at your kitchen right now, if you if you opened up the cabinets or even the oven, there's toys in there. Huh. You know, like a specific set collection of toys. It could be all Simpsons toys, like in one room that take one room, <laughs> room you know, one area in your kitchen. Um, yeah, they're they're very eccentric people, and you know they've uh, they've contributed a lot to um, in their own way to you know the world of music, punk music, and alternative music. Especially since that's like you're seeing that's something that you can appreciate. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I identify with it. Oh, I wanted to ask you about... Uh, you. I saw in your IMB that you also did all the music for a play. Oh, yeah. Uh, how did that come uh, about? I work with this company called Treehouse Shakers, and um, they do children plays. And they're like little musical plays. There's it, They're a dance company. Okay. So it's it's the foundation of what they do is dance um, and tell stories. 
uh, through that medium, and um, <coughs> and they've they they've been in very successful. They've they've been doing it for over twenty years. Um, so I was friends uh, with uh, Mara McEwen, who's my uh, my wife, introduced me to her, and she asked me if I would do the music for a children's play called Hatched, which is about a a, a chick that hatches on a farm and it's that hurt the chick's first day on the farm and they're incredible puppets and uh, and the dancing choreography is great and I do the music for it so I perform it with them I you know it's just me a telecaster and you know guitar amp and it's like it's like some of its rockabilly-ish country bluesy weird kind of stuff kind of like what I like to do yeah absolutely and, um, and it, it fits and it you know we've been doing it for the last uh, six years and <clears throat> then they asked me to do another play called um, Olive and Pearl and it's about this little girl and her grandmother in Ireland and um, and it, it takes place over the course of a day like sun up sundown and it's really based on the child's imagination and um you know, I did the music for that as well, and that's just me and acoustic guitar. It's got like an Irish tinge to it musically. Oh, cool! And I performed that with them as well. Awesome, awesome. Any good tips you have, like uh, into raising children? Uh, any experiences that you had that maybe perhaps uh, were tough for you that you were able to work through and could give advice to any other one, anyone else who is. Uh, yeah, struggling through the whole raising a child. <laughs> one, one piece of advice I got about raising your own child is not to take any advice from other people. <laughs> all, all things are different, you know. I mean, love your child unconditionally, and they will do the same. Um, that's what I've learned from you know my experience with my child, and every day is something different, man. You know. And, <laughs> You know, there are times where you just want to be sitting down and they won't like you. You know, and I try to, uh, you know, I try to look at things from her from uh, her perspective in situations like that. Like, oh, I don't want to be a fuddy-dud, you know. Like, I'm, okay, I'll, I'll entertain her, play with her, play a game with her, even though I'm dead tired, you know. Um, I really don't, I mean, it's, Every child is different. I mean, I, I really don't have any advice for other parents. <laughs> I could probably use some more advice. Um, you know, uh, just love your child you huh? know, unconditionally, and uh, try not to try not to stop being who you are. You know, be do the things you love to do, and incorporate the child into it. Introduce them to the things you love. You know, as opposed to you know, just catering to them constantly. Absolutely. I'm uh, still exploring that myself. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of like a lifelong thing. Yeah. Um, or at least till they're, you know, 16 and hate you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's what people say. Oh, just wait till they grow up. They're not going to talk to you anymore. Maybe, you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I think, uh, I don't know. I have a little more faith in that. Because all those 
everyone who I talk to who has that attitude, who always says that, they haven't put the time into their kids. They're always working and they're always, uh, or they're always, uh, you know, like very short with their kids and they're trying to control their kids. And I'm like, that's probably why your kid doesn't want to talk to you. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. You have to have a tolerance. You, you have to be able to uh, treat them like a human being. Like an, they oh. have needs, yeah. And they're incredibly inquisitive and, all, all, you know, everything is brand new to them. Everything. Like every day is a new day with new experiences. And, and you have to understand that and be sympathetic to that. And, uh, you know, and, and try to guide them. Absolutely. Do the best you can to guide them through their, their new experiences, whether they're positive or negative. You know, if a kid is shutting them out at school, you know, this little boy didn't want to sit next to her on the bus anymore, and, you know, he tried to, she tried to sit next to him, and he'd say, no, I don't want to sit next to you today, and she'd get upset, she'd come off the bus, and she'd be really upset. And I, you know, I told her, I was like, you know what, don't try to sit next to him anymore. Just, not in these words, but blow him off. <laughs> you know, and you'll see that he's going to come sit next to you eventually. You know, kids play mind games with each other too. Yeah. And it starts really early. You know, little personal politic things in school, you know, like uh, clicks and things like that. that it, it, kids can be very cruel, you know, and that's the, probably the one thing that I worry about the most. You know, it's like, how is she going to deal with that? don't want her to be bullied but she's probably going to be bullied at some point everybody is um, and I want her to be able to handle it in a healthy way and not let it get to her it's really easier said than done because, <laughs> you know you remember being a kid it's your absolutely it's, every, it's your everything your school is your it's your 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 society your your um Finding your place to where you stand in society. Yeah, it's your world. It's like, ever seen the movie Heather's? It's you yeah. Know, it's like that. You know, it's um, you know, you know, it's um, it's it's very it's it's a hard thing for kids to overcome these days, especially with social media, because kids are being bullied on there. I heard about a nine-year-old boy who killed himself because he couldn't deal with it, and that was freaking heartbreaking. <sighs> That's I, like, I want to stay on top of that. Like, you know, I've, my, first of all, I'm not going to give my kid a phone when she's nine. Um, but she's got really has to learn. I want her to have her own identity, and I want her not to feel uh, like an outcast if she's different from other people. I want her to feel special and and um, lucky, fortunate that she's not like other people. Absolutely. But that's you know that that's easier said than done. You know, um, I'll be able to tell you more about that when I get there. But <laughs> but I'm aware of it, and I you know like I said in that that one example with the kid that didn't want to sit next to her, it's like don't sit next to him. You know, it's like it you know he hurt your feelings, and we all have feelings, and maybe he. Maybe he's just not in a good mood. Maybe he wants to sit next to somebody else, and it's okay. It's okay for him to want to sit next to somebody else. 
and it doesn't mean that you know you're not a good friend or a good person or likable. That's mm-hmm. nothing to do with that. Yeah, no, I think it's important to communicate that to your children. And it's hard. And this is what I was getting at when I was saying to other people, like, oh, watch when your kids disappear. You know, and they're 16, they want nothing to do with you. Most of those people don't take the time to explain that to their child. Yeah. They're just like, oh, don't worry about it. Well, when I was 16, mm-hmm. I had to, uh, throughout my childhood, I, we had to be at the dinner table at 6 o'clock. Didn't matter what you were doing. You know, where you were, who you were with, you had to be home to have dinner. And that kept you in check, you know? Okay. You know, uh, show up to the dinner table stoned or drunk or, you know. We did that after dinner. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, no, but seriously, uh, it it keeps you in check. And I I think that the fact that both parents are working nowadays, almost every household. Absolutely. Just to make ends meet. it's it's affecting the way kids are, are raised and then and they're neglected and and they're you know they could easily fall into the wrong crowd and you know you lose touch with them and uh, you know how terrible things could happen absolutely um, simply yeah one of the pieces of advice that I got from uh, one of my neighbors uh, was uh, let your house be the house everyone hangs out at. Yeah, it's annoying and yeah, you gotta feed a lot of kids but at least you always know where your son is. And I think that was a pretty good piece. I've heard that before. Um, And looking back, you know, when I was in my teens, like we drank on the weekends, every weekend, you know, in the summertime almost every night. But no one ever really screwed up to the point where like they didn't graduate high school or you know they became addicted to uh you know to drugs or you know became alcoholics i know we managed to because of our you know having like a a a solid foundation you know a good home life or decent home life you were able to you know you knew not to stray too far absolutely my dog's knocked out. <laughs> um, and then, uh, any uh, new projects you're working on? Um, yeah. Um, I actually, I'm working, I'm starting a new band. I've been writing with uh, an old friend of mine, Kevin Egan, who uh, sang um, for a band called Beyond and uh, uh, the 1.6 band and The Last Crime. All really notable Long Island hardcore punk bands, and we've been writing together. And we just started working with the drummer uh, Greg Collins, who played in Radio Four. Um, and we're writing, and we were looking for a bass player. And yeah, this is this is really new. It's probably it's just like about a month or so old, and it's coming along. We're having fun, and it's punk, and it's, it's you know I got sick of playing. Yeah. You know, playing covers and uh, or you know originals, uh, playing original music, other people's music, and playing guitar for them. You know, I just wanted to go back and do something that was my, you know, a collaborative thing that was my own thing, and um, you know, 
something that's that's driving and 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 uh, and hard and <laughs> something that makes you happy. <laughs> Features. Hey, okay, there you go. Can keep it in punk rock. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Thank you for coming down. So look out for that. Will do. I'll, yeah, I'll have you back on when you're doing something. Absolutely. Thank you.
Recordings.com. It's three LPs, vinyl, and a wooden box that's screen printed and comes with a t-shirt. Check it out. ArcticRodeoRecordings.com.